All right, we don't want to make assumptions about what people do or don't know, but in that case, do I really want to have her learn how to do a spreadsheet or I just want to hand it to her so we can get to the problem that we're trying to solve. And so in the, in the certified coach world, you're not supposed to do that at all? Really not. Really? They, call that, they call that leading, right? I learned a lot of the coachy coachy, right? Don't lead your clients, right? Huh. Now, yeah, give it, you know, show yeah. them how to do a, <laughs> a spreadsheet, That's pretty much leading. I mean, I, I let them to water and I drank with them. So here's the big question. Have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder, why didn't they teach me in school anything about how to manage money? I've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early. I've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and a successful mindset. Join me as I interview some of the world's most successful business owners, coaches, and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn, but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin, and this is the Money Talkers Podcast. Welcome back, Money Talkers. This is your host, Cody Laughlin. I have Henry Doss with me today. He is the author of FQ, Financial Intelligence. Basically, what he described to me was a cradle-to-grave money source. So I'm excited to get into talking with him. He's also been a business coach for quite a long time. And uh, I want to get the state of the environment out there and uh, dive into what business owners are doing to, uh, to not only just survive, but to strive during this part of the economic cycle and pandemic cycle that we're in. Um, but I want to say welcome to the show, Henry. Thanks, Cody. I'm really um, happy to be here. So I, um, I want to know how you got into coaching. Like, can you walk me through um, the shift that it took to say, okay, like I'm in the game, but now I also want to coach others that are in the game? Yeah. Uh, so like you, I'm a serial entrepreneur, although I didn't have 13 companies. I think I've had eight, maybe. So you win. Um, Not really. <laughs> or, you, or you lose. Okay. Depending on which end of the telescope you want to look through. I, I learned a lot. You learned a lot. Yeah, you learned. That's experience and wisdom is that's from it. learning a lot. That's it. Uh, so I started 30 years ago. 1991 was when I started my first company. And um, it was about was like earlier in this decade or whatever this the the uh, 2010 11 uh, I had turned 50 I'm 61 years old now and I sort of sat down and said what's the what's the next um, stage what's the next act of my life look like so um, and it was the first time I'd really done what I would what I call a purposeful business because most of the other businesses had really been opportunistic or to some degree accidental like it just sort of you know stepped into something and said yeah I can do that and before you know it, I got a business and I had always been kind of coaching uh, people informally people come to me a lot for advice on different stuff and I was on a I was on a um, plane to Chicago and I was sitting next to a guy who was part of a family business. And we ended up talking the entire two hours about his business. 
um, all the dysfunction that was going on and how angry he was that he had to come out and see his brother and his cousins to help fix all this stuff. And then the, but the only, but I wasn't a coach then. And, the, and I thought to myself, I came back and I, I talked to my wife about it. I said, the only thing that was missing was a business card to say, Hey, I'm a business coach. Cause he, he could have been, you know, patient zero or client zero. Uh, but then I got the idea in my head that it's like, yeah, this is something that I think I was actually born to do. And I hung up a shingle. I signed up with Coachville. I did a year worth of training because it's like, I want to know what are the best practices? You know, what are the Marquis of Queensberry rules for being a coach? And so I did all these courses online. I was a little bit of a deer in the headlights. And then I figured out when it was all said and done that it's like, okay, I like the coaching stuff, but it's leaving a whole lot of entrepreneurial experience on the table because there's just some things that you can't do if you want to be a quote certified making air quotes certified coach so i created this thing i call it casa coach approach strategic advisor half a coach half a strategic advisor sprinkle in cheerleader and teacher and and taskmaster and a whole bunch of other things and that's how i built my practice so what uh all right, I got a few things I want to unpack out of there. So uh, <laughs> I gave you a lot there. I know. So, uh, like, my brain was out of like 90 questions. So um, <laughs> what, what did you find when you went in as an entrepreneur to become a coach of entrepreneurs, training yourself to be a coach? What was it? You said that there was some, like, you just, like, there was some, it was deer in headlights. And what, what was different that went in the, from that angle, from like the institutional educational angle of this is how you be a coach for entrepreneurs when you were already an entrepreneur for 30 years. What, what was it? I don't know. I'm curious. <laughs> well, that, you know what? You hit the nail on the head. That was it. This was like someone, um, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. You, since this is money talkers, you heard of something that's called fire, right? Mm -hmm. You know what fire is, right? Oh, yeah. Financial Changed independence, financial independence, retire early. Well, the change your life, but I didn't write good things about fire in my book. I didn't spend a lot of time on it, but I just said, fire is the type of thing that comes out of academia, right? And then this is a wonderful idea, do 4% or this or that or the other thing, but it doesn't take into consideration, at least in its nascent form, all the other variables and all the other factors that go on, right? Recessions and unemployment and this and that. So, so I spend a hundred grand a year, 4%, I need two and a half million dollars liquid. I'm on easy street, I can retire at 29, right? And then you have something like the pandemic that happens and the market craters by 30%. And all of a sudden that two and a half million ain't worth two and a half million anymore. Point is, a lot of the coaching training was, you know, the stuff that you learn in school and college. It's all very theoretical. Yeah. Having spent 20 years as an entrepreneur, it's like, no, that's not how it works in the real world. It just doesn't. It is a total disconnect. Um, which isn't to say that the coaching training wasn't valuable. Learning about pattern language, learning about asking permission instead of just jumping in and telling somebody what to do. But, you know, do I have permission to give you my insight on things? There are a lot of, a lot of um, uh, sort of tactics that you can use to really polish your performance. Um, because it really is, you know, you are performing as a coach very different than performing as an entrepreneur 
So um, you mentioned that to stay as a certified coach were some things you didn't agree with in the approach through it. And you made a hybrid of your own, which by the way, I made, I made a hybrid of my fire. I mixed it with the uh, rich dad, poor dad. So, oh, there you uh, go. Okay. <laughs> so I didn't go liquid fire. I went, I went uh, cash flow fire, but um, <laughs> so, uh, but it was a goal. So it helped a lot. <laughs> um, the, what, what is it that you did to, to mix it from being certified? business coach to the CASA approach? Well, part of part of being a coach is to some degree um, getting your client to come to their own conclusions, right? Mm. But after 20 years of business experience, sometimes you just have the answer. So just give them the answer, right? Yeah. Sort of like if you've ever had a shrink. I think it was in a movie. There's Molly's Molly's game where uh, um, Jessica Chastain and um, and Kevin Costner, who's her, who's her father, based on a true story. And he's a shrink, and he says, "I'm going to do what patients have been asking shrinks for for the last couple hundred years. I'm going to give you the answer." <laughs> right? I had a client who didn't know how to do a spreadsheet. She didn't. She was doing a Google Doc, and it was like. It was, I hate to say it was amateurish, but she didn't understand the idea that you pluck out a variable and then if you change the variable, it affects all the formulas on the sheet. It's just like every line was, was, uh, was it like its own formula. She didn't know how to do that. So I said, well, I could point her to a bunch of resources and, and get her to learn how to do Excel. Or in 20 minutes, I could just fix this thing. Just make a spreadsheet. <laughs> well, I did. I made a spreadsheet and I sent it to her. And our next session, we talked about it. And she was gobsmacked. I had no idea you could do this. Right? I took the 10 variables out. It took me five minutes to figure out what were the variables. She, seemed, she says, oh, so if I change, she was in the content business. So if I change two writers to three writers, I can see how it affects my margin. I said, yeah, go ahead and do it. All right? We don't want to make assumptions about what people do or don't know. But in that case, do I really want to have her learn how to do a spreadsheet or I just want to hand it to her so we can get to the problem that we're trying to solve? And so in the in the certified coach world, you're not supposed to do that at all? Really not. Really? They, call that, they call that leading, right? I learned a lot of the coachy coachy, right? Don't lead your clients, right? Huh. Now, yeah, give, give, you know, showing yeah. them how to do a, <laughs> a spreadsheet, <laughs> pretty much leading. I mean, I, I led them to water and I drank with them. Uh, <laughs> so uh, that I would probably be so verboten. Yeah, what is the what is the downside of of doing that? What I, I'm trying to wrap my head around, other than saying like, well, I failed and it's your fault, but I mean, they could say that about anything anyway, right? Well, well, that yeah, that's it. That, you know, you bring up a great point. Now, one of the things I I um I was a member of EO Entrepreneurs Organization for for many many years. In fact, my my EO forum um, still meets now, 22 years later. And we practice a, a gestalt, and I use this in my coaching as well, of sharing our experiences. So I, so I don't give advice, right? Because advice is a win-win for you. If I give you a, a advice, if I tell you, go long Tesla, right? Yeah. Right? If that works out really, really well, you're going to take credit for it. You're going to say, I was the genius that I went along on Tesla. If that, if that craters, it's going to be my fault because I'm the one who told you to buy it. Hmm. Right? So it's a win-win for you. And I don't, as much as I love you as a client, I don't want to set up that kind of scenario. 
Yeah. And you right. find that in the, you find that in the business world when you're business coaching. Oh yeah. You find, well, you, you, you sometimes have to, if people are asking you to give them the answer, that's a little different story, right? Then you've got to work a little bit harder to say, you've got to find your answer to this very, very different scenario than just teaching somebody to use um, a spreadsheet. That's a mechanical yeah. thing. That's yeah. a tactical thing. Yeah. Right. But if somebody, if a client comes to me and is like, what would you do if you were me in this situation? My answer is, well, I'm not you. Right. So I can't answer that question. But what I can tell you is I had this experience, yeah. right. May not be exactly the same, maybe analogous. I faced a situation similar to what you had. Here's what I did. Here's what the outcome was. And then, so now you tell me, analyze this situation, look at the options. What do you, what is the outcome you're seeking and which strategy do you believe or which tactic do you believe is going to get you to that outcome? Hmm. You know? Yeah. I see how there's kind of a very, dance. It's very coachy, coachy stuff. Yeah. So right? It's kind of a more of a dance, right? And, it, is a, uh, it is a dance, right? Because you yeah. don't want to set up a situation where, um, they have an out where they have a put option that says, ah, coach told me to do it. And that's his fault. <laughs> I can see how that could swing around. Well, it's gotta be difficult though, is that, uh, like most entrepreneurs, if they've reached a certain level are used to pinning people down. Like, <laughs> yeah. so they gotta be pretty good at the dance as well. Right. It, it, it gets hard. And I work with, I prefer to work with people who've reached, you know, seven figures, yeah. which is again, rarefied air. There's only about 4% of the 30 million businesses in America ever reach uh, seven figures of top line in any given year. Right. You had to do something right. Sometimes it was a total accident, but most of the time you had to do something right. And there are, are attributes of an entrepreneur uh, which that are uh, that may run counter to the coach. I am an entrepreneur. I'm the master of the universe. I know everything. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> now have, that's the. Kinda, you, it's, it's like a. As you say that like it's a bad thing, but you kind of have to have some of that to get you do. to to get to that that number. And then I think for me, um, I've done it four times. So in four different mm -hmm. companies. So um, for me, you kind of have to have that driver to you have do. that mentality because the the road from, I want to say the zero to a hundred thousand is that bad. That's kind of you're figuring things out. You just got to get some revenue, some sales in, right? Right. And it's really that hundred to a million, like you got to have some thick skin and be able to challenge the things that are going to get you to the next stage to have the difficult conversations that you have to have. So that personality trait has to, I believe, be in there. I think the real switch that has to happen is after that seven figures hits, like you to get to the next step, you have to step back in my mind, because you need to put, you need to, you can't, you can't carry it all anymore. Right. And I think there, I think there's a lot of struggle with entrepreneurs in, in that one to $5 million range, because at that point you have to rely on team members more, quite a bit more. Right. I, I would, that would be my, my take on it would think like now you have to take off the hard charging. You can't stop me. I'll take on the world to go a little bit more like now I have to go trust all these team members to do their things and become more of an organizer. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? No, it, it, it's tough. It's a very, very tough trans transition. I call it entrepreneurial arrogance, right? You have to have that, right? I have this picture of the entrepreneur who's standing before the, the bankruptcy judge saying, come on, judge, 
give me one more shot. I know I can turn the ship around, <laughs> right? That you have to have that as an entrepreneur. You do, right? But then you've got to have the self-awareness that, that says, hey, I, I don't know what I don't know. Yeah. Otherwise, as a coach, you wouldn't have any clients because it's yeah. really tough for a lot of people to make that phone call or set up that strategy session with a coach because you are admitting, I don't have all the answers. That's tough. What really, what you, really tough. What do you think uh, drives them to finally make that choice? Is it frustration? Is it, what, what do you think is the main driver when someone finally says, all right, I'm, I'm don't have all the answers. I'm ready for someone to help me. Um, I think there's either, there's either two things. It's either death by a thousand cuts and they finally get cut number 1001 and say, <laughs> okay, uh, I can't, I cannot continue to operate it like this and maintain my sanity. I've been trying to knock this wall down with my head and it just yeah. hurting. <laughs> right, that, that's number one. Number yeah. two is uh, somebody, usually a loved one or a spouse, gives them the wake up call that says, dude, this ain't working. Right? Which would lead me to the third one, which is peeking into the abyss. My personal theory is that most people will not make a profound change in their life because someone else tells them to do it, like as an intervention, they have to peek into the abyss themselves. And so until you, they do, they're just gonna keep resisting. Health, relationship, one of those kind of subjects where that's where, or, or, or closing, right? Bankruptcy closing, that kind of thing? Yeah, sometimes it's just a swift, you know, kick in the rear by somebody else and they finally stop and take a look and say, okay, uh, I got to do something different, right? Sort of like the, the uh, 12 step program. They had these little chips that say nothing changes if nothing changes. Yeah. Right. Pretty basic. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. <laughs> Just keep doing the same stuff and yeah, you're going to, you're going to get the same results, right? That's the old Einstein's, you know, theory of insanity, which I don't happen to agree with. Um, because you can continue to do things and it can continue to work for you, but sometimes the world changes, right? Very yeah. often the world I think, changes. I think we always apply that in the wrong situation. Right. right. We, we never apply that to the right situation where people, you know, they, I agree with you hundred percent because the only constant is change. Right? You, so. you got it. And so you, however you get there, the important thing is you got there and you said, okay, uh, if I'm going to level up, if I'm going to maintain my sanity, um, I need help. I need high level help, right? Not help beneath me because if you're the entrepreneur, you're at the top of the pyramid, you know, you walked in shoes. I'm at the top of the pyramid. I don't have any peers, right? I just don't. So I need to maybe go out and hire somebody uh, who's going to play at the same level or even a higher level as me. Yeah. And you know, the, um, the thing is, is that too, when you're in the entrepreneurial and you're at the apex, it can be very, um, I don't want to say lonely, but that's kind of the feeling, right? Where it's like, you don't, you can't go to your lowest level employee and dump all your problems on him because of the company, you're the company. Owner, right? No, like you, you, unless you want to be an ex employee, yeah. uh, you don't want to do that. Or you're going to have a bunch of them because they're going to revolt. Right. And so, um, and, and so it's, it's almost, it's like a, and you, like you said, you have kind of an arrogance to say, well, I don't need help because I know what I look, what I built. Right. And it's like, 
but you know, you internally, it's like, I need help. I can't talk to anybody. And who do I talk to? Right. And so if you're in that spot, what do you think makes the best decision in picking out a coach? Because I read, I saw you have a book that's a free resource on your website, which is uh, the top 10 questions to ask when hiring a coach. It's a PDF, but it's yeah. like 20, 25 pages. So when <laughs> I put that up, so it's my book. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. No, when I, when I, uh, when I sent that out to a bunch of friends for their opinion, they're like 25 pages. Who's going to read 25 pages? It's like, well, uh, I don't know, but it's a whole bunch of stuff that I wanted to cover. And if it's 25 pages, it's 25 pages. It's funny. I, I send out a bi-weekly, you know, every two weeks I send out a newsletter. I call it the DOS FQ update. In fact, it's on the screen behind me. I'm just finishing up because um, today's the 15th. Uh, and I had one of my followers say, uh, it's three pages long, right? It's basically a three-page PDF. I want you to make it shorter. <laughs> I'm like, dude, it's three pages, right? I don't even think it's a thousand words. It's like a two-minute read. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Come well, you on. know, uh, one of my favorite <laughs> quotes was in the book Traction. And it says uh, that it was a son writing a letter to, I mean, a dad writing a letter to his son. He said, son, if I had more time, I would have wrote a shorter letter. That's what lawyers always say. They go before the judge and they say, judge, if I'd had more time, I would have had a shorter brief. <laughs> right? Everybody wants it shorter, 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 shorter. But Einstein, speaking of, said it should be simple, but not simpler. Right, I love that oh, quote. I like that. So you have to decide what's the baseline in order in order to, to to get this. And for me, three pages. Every once in a while, I've gone to four pages. I did it a couple of newsletters ago, but I've also gone as short as two pages. Right? I don't it's, think it's, it's a tall ass. But here's the I deal. really don't. It's, it's your newsletter. It's my new. It's my new. <laughs> Tell them to go write their but, own but, newsletter. But if I have no, one. if I have no readers, right? I know it'd be nice to sort of push back, but I don't want to do that. I mean, the the crowd will tell me, right? If I lose readers because it's too long, well, I don't lose readers because it's too long. So yeah, I wrote the twenty five page PDF because it's ten things. But you know what? Uh, that's that's actually a huge entrepreneurial lesson, of what you're talking about right now. That mm-hmm. concept, right? Just because you think your product's great, if the market doesn't want it, you're not going to sell it. <laughs> you are not, no matter how, you know, it's not a meritocracy. So listen, right? right? Yeah. So yeah. Listen, listen to the people that want to buy it because that's, I think a lot of people do that and they build something that they think that they would buy. So it's like, oh, well, this is what the world needs and wants and everything else. You know, it's almost like the Shark Tank episodes when you're watching, you're like, who is going to buy that? <laughs> right, but you know what? Sometimes they invest in it because I tell, I tell, uh, uh, I tell people all the time, you bet the jockey, not the horse. So yeah. you go on Shark Tank and people come up, and and I watched it, and it's like that's an unbelievable idea, right? But nobody invests because the guy who's doing it is a flake. Yeah. And then absolutely. another guy will show up or a gal, and it's like that is the most cockamamie idea. That 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 will never work. But I really like that person. Yeah. Right. And then all of a sudden the sharks are fighting over each other because it's like, uh, I, I can give this person who's really, really good, a better idea. Right. Yeah, ideas are ideas. a dime a dozen. Yeah. I've had of zillions of ideas, many of which I haven't, uh, uh, 
that I've saved thousands or tens of thousands of dollars not executing. I've also had a couple <laughs> that I executed that I wish I never executed. <laughs> so I got 13 businesses. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that's all, that is all part of it. So 10 reasons, you know, 10, I figured I'd give a, I'd give a primer to people on the questions to ask, yeah. right? Um, uh, you know, what, what are you looking for? What are you expecting out of this relationship with a coach? Because I had a guy who came into a strategy session. He didn't end up, he didn't end up um, signing up, but he asked me, are you a certified coach? I said, no. Uh, and then we went through the whole thing that we talked about, which is why not? I created my whole thing. But I also said to him, I said, you know, I said, where do you think to answer, ask that question? Because no one has ever asked me that question. Oh, I went on the internet and, uh, and I was looking for Googling like questions to ask a prospective coach. That's how I got the idea to write the 10 things. It's like, well, why don't I just hand this to people on a silver platter? Yeah. Whether it be for me or anybody else, this is the, the SOP that you should follow when evaluating who you want to be your coach. Because I won't spend five seconds with someone if they're on a fishing expedition, right? If they're trying to figure out whether or not a coach is something for them. I don't waste my time with them. What I want is someone who's already decided that they need help and is just trying to figure out who's the guy or gal for me. That's it. So how do you do that? Uh, I do it very quickly <laughs> when, I, when I start it, because time is the one thing that I won't get back. I'm not gonna spend an hour on the phone with somebody if I don't believe that we have a future together. I'm just flat out, I'm, I'm very zealous about my time. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm not just going to, uh, you know, my wife and I are looking at real estate because <clears throat> we want to move from New Jersey. We're looking to buy a place in Vegas. We're looking to buy a piece of land here. Uh, you know, find it, find a house with septic and stuff somewhere around here. We went up to Woodstock, New York that we can knock down and build a house. So we know what we want. And we looked at a couple of houses this past weekend and you know what realtors are like, they want to keep you around and talk you up 30 seconds into him opening door from the house. I said, I'm not going to waste your time. This is not for us. <laughs> Let's go look at the next one. Right. That's from being a veteran of doing this a long time. He looked at me. He said, you know what? I appreciate you not wasting my time. I said, good. Right. I'm not going to waste your time and I'm not going to waste mine. Right. Cause we'll never get that back. So I'm not going to pretend and do a pantomime about that. And it's the same thing. Someone's coming to me where we're going to start is what are your motives? What are you trying to do? What are you looking for? Right. Again, are you on a fishing expedition to say how, how, you know, what kind of ROI am I going to get from a coaching relationship? You can't, you can't measure that. That's just not measurable. And I wrote about that in that little piece. It's more of a feeling. And you're only going to know that feeling when you look backwards after a couple of months of working with someone and saying, hey, I'm in a really much better place. Right? Where do you see um, business owners fail when they come into a coaching relationship? They, um, they just don't have the right expectations. Um, that's probably part one. And where they really fail uh, is when it gets hard because it's going to get hard. Yeah. It's usually about six months where people bail out is about six months. First, first couple, first, maybe two, three months. And, and for my, you know, premier program, I only require three months, a three month buy-in. And after that, it's month to month. And if you want to leave, you know, most coaches like in the coach training, they're like, oh, you should always ask for an extra, you know, 
month, right? You need 30 days notice so you can get somebody. I'm like, I ain't doing that. If you don't want to be here, I don't want you here. I don't need your money that badly that I'm going to drag you out for, for 30 days of a lame duck session when I know that you're already leaving. Yeah. So, so if we can get past that first, you know, 90 days, usually things are good. But then at about six months, we're back to that idea. Nothing changes if nothing changes, right? So do you, yeah, do you feel that they um, implement early and then later revert back to the bad habits? Is yeah, that kind of it's like what everybody does. People, people are like a, a rubber band. I'm stretching them as a rubber band, yeah. right? Yeah. They got to find a new form. What happens after six months is they snap and they want to snap back to the way they were. That's the same with everything, right? I mean, I, uh, I redid my golf swing six years ago after I, had a, after I went to Bandon Dunes and for five days and played incredibly poorly. And I said, my golf swing is broken. And I hired a coach to fix my golf swing. And for the next three years, something fun really funny happened. My golf game sucked. It was awful. And there was a voice in my head that says, this sucks. I'm going back to, to the devil I knew instead of the heaven I don't. But then there was a little teeny voice in the back of my head that said, don't quit. Don't, you can do this. And that's tough. And it was year four, three solid seasons. We only played for, you know, six months here in the Northeast. Three solid years of really crummy golf until everything changed. Really? Now at 61 <laughs> years old, I'm playing the best golf that I have ever played. But I could have quit. Yeah. Right? I actually went back and saw a video from from uh, from Bandon Dunes of my swing. And I said, oh, my God, I played for 30 years with that swing. <laughs> what was I thinking? Why didn't I hire a coach when I was 32? Right? <laughs> so anyway. And so... Um... Well, is that, I mean, what do you see that could be the most, um, I guess we're talking about what happens for people that fail with the coaching relationship. What happens for the people that have the best outcomes? What are the, what are the similarities that you see? Um, I think for, for uh, the most part, if you sat down with them and, and asked them to articulate what changed, they could probably come up with a couple of, of key things, a uh, couple key pieces. And most of those would be sort of mindset related. In fact, I had a, a coaching call with a client this morning and we started uh, probably almost five years ago, maybe four and a half years ago. And he was barely a million dollar company and now he's a $10 million company. Um, and he had a pet peeve about, he runs a basically a body shop software, software shop. And uh, he, Early on, he had this pet peeve about hiring non-billable people. And he'd already been in business for 15 years. Mm. Uh, so he'd already outlived, at 15 years, you've outlived most business. By, by 15 years, business is only about 20% of businesses that start last about 15 years. I know all these stats. Um, and then this morning, he said to me, it's like, you know what? Because uh, he made a comment about hiring another hire, another six-figure hire to be on his management team. And he's like, he goes, uh, I said, yeah, you're really coming around to this idea of hi hiring non-billable people. And he's like, I, it's more than that. It's like, I, I, I want to hire. I, I want to hire non-billable. I, I, I've drank the Kool-Aid. 
I have seen the evidence that every one of these six figure people that I hired has benefited me 5x to what I paid them. Because right? he, uh, he was the one pulling the plow all the way to 1 million and it gets tired, right? Yeah, and that's uh, what I'm saying. You, you, gotta have, you have to hand it off. And that's. I he still pulls the plow, the plow from time to time. And that was part of our conversation, which yeah. is I can foresee a day where you don't ride in on a white charger to solve these problems. Because he's going in and solving problems on tiny projects, you know, $50,000 projects. Why are you, I don't want any disgruntled customers. Really? $50,000 I'm not saying you should tank it or whatever, but ask yourself, there's an opportunity cost there. Can you imagine a time where you just fold your arms and say, you know what guys, figure it out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We had, we had a, we had a similar situation where I was the funnel. I was the, the linchpin of the funnel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And because I was trying, I wanted every problem with 110 employees, yeah. I wanted every problem. And two things happened. One, I heard the phrase, uh, more decision, more, more harm is done by indecision than wrong decision. Right. So yeah. I stopped collecting the problems from them. I just started giving the answers. And the second thing was, I set the management team down and I said, these are the problems that you handle up to. If it gets above that, call me. Right. And mm -hmm. I'm like, other than that, if you, it was like, if you make an answer to the problem, have a why. Like if I ask you why you said that, you go, I don't know. Then there's a problem. That's yeah, your yeah, problem. Yeah. That's now my problem with your problem. Right. And so, uh, yeah, it was, um, that was such, and we actually, as soon as we did that, they just shot, shot off like crazy. Like it just, everything moved faster. Everything was quicker. Everything was, you know, uh, there weren't more problems because we were giving away the access to the problem. You know, like they had culpability now because they used to go, well, you made the decision, not my problem. Right. <laughs> people want that. Yeah. People, people want you to give them the latitude to make decisions and, and to know that you're not going to read them the riot act if it goes sideways. You yeah. are going to ask for a justification as to why you did it. So you better have something more than, I don't know. Yeah. Right. But pretty much anything other than I don't know is a good enough answer. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm always outcome, asking about, I'm sorry, go ahead. Came, well, if the outcome came out bad, then you go back to the thinking of why you made the decision. Yeah. And then you, you can say, okay, well, this is why you made the decision with the information you had. It came out bad. Like, what do we do if this comes up again? And now you're building people and you're building decision makers because now they've learned a way not to do it. <laughs> well, well, you've also learned a process there, which is yeah. to say, okay, this is the decision that you made based on the, the data that you had. And uh, I, I know this as a trader, right? You're looking, you analyze the stock and you say, okay, based on the data that I had, this was the right decision. But then you got to ask yourself, well, what data did I miss? Did yeah. I actually have the right data? Or did I delude myself? Or was it an emo emotional decision? I'm going to buy this stock because my cousin bought it and made a whole bunch of money and I'm com competitive with my cousin. And you see that kind of stuff all the time, whether it be in business or in other areas. And it's like, all right, own that. But then we got to change that mindset. We got to change that thought process there and try to take some of this emotion out of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And once you have that, you've got leadership. Now you're building leaders, right? And that becomes the better your leaders are, the more you can come out of and not do the operational stuff, which they can many times be better at it than you in the first place. But you also, if you don't, if you know, most people that are like that want to run, 
right? Like they want to run. And so if you don't have anything to do, let's say that way, right? <laughs> if you, yeah. if you offload the tasks, your brain is not going to just stop and you're going to sit in your office. Like you're going to start looking for other ways to drive income. You know, if you don't yeah, have problems, if you don't have to look, if you're not looking in the rear view, right? It seems like you're looking at the windshield a lot of times. If you, if you can find good leadership like that and offload it. There's two pieces to that. One is being a coach approach leader, which is another thing that comes out of the coaching world, right? So I'm modeling how, how a coach operates. So if you're the CEO of your company, you need to act as a coach, right? Yes. You're going to have to coach your people, right? You yeah. really, really, really important that you do that. And then they are going to learn from you and they're going to become coach approach leaders as well. Ultimately, you should never have to raise your voice, right? Mm -hmm. You should just, it should just be quiet confidence that you're showing as, as a leader, right? And then you can spend your time working on biz dev, right? We talk about absoluting, obsoleting ourselves. Eventually you should get to a point where you are no longer integral to the success of this operation, right? In theory, but as it stands, you're the biz dev right? guys, right? As it stands, yeah. but you're the biz dev guy. You're the yeah. guy who's going to look down the line and say, we may be clicking on all cylinders and everything may be great, but we're now we're full circle back. Hey, the world's changing. So even though we're a finely tuned machine, uh, we're a horse and buggy, which is a, we're the best horse and buggy that there is, but everybody's mechanized. We got to change. Yeah. That's tough. That is, that's, um, man, that's a great point. Uh, Henry, I, I really appreciate that. Um, you coming on with me. I can enjoy this conversation quite a bit. So, um, where do, uh, money talkers find out more about what you're doing? Um, so I got a little special thing that I created a couple of weeks ago for the podcast. So if you go to podcast, dot dosknowledge.com and i'll send you this you can put it in the show notes i'm offering one free month of coaching either business coaching or money coaching or a combination of the two right exclusively for people who listen to the podcast so you just go to that landing page and you can sign right up for a session and no obligation just give you i gave uh, i opened my entire business practice for our, uh, business coaching practice for April, May, and June for free to everybody as part of COVID. Um, and I had a hundred conversations, almost, no, I had 87 conversations with over 50 people free of charge just to help people work through situations. We're in a really tough spot right now yes. um, with COVID. I had a, quite a number of conversations with people during the, the real thick of the crisis. And the crisis isn't over, not by a long shot. But we, when, we were, when we were in that shock phase right there, a lot of people just didn't know what to do. It was the Spencer Johnson, who moved my cheese? Yes. Right? <laughs> it was just the, that parable. Um, so I had to talk quite a few people off the ledge to tell them uh, that this too shall pass. In the meantime, though, we got to make a plan. Right? Right. I got a, a T-shirt that says hope is not a plan. Right? <laughs> It's not a plan. Make a plan. Although people say, you know, a man plans and golf laugh uh, and God laughs, right, or something like that. Um, if you don't make a plan, uh, God's in hysterics, right? So one way or another, God's laughing at you. The question is, how heartily is he played? I'd rather that we try to make a plan. 
Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, even if it's a bad plan and you start executing it, you can always pivot and shift on the plan. But you, you got to have a plan. Then you won't find out why it was a bad plan to start off with. <laughs> you're just you're just leaving it to the gods, and I'm just not a believer in that. I guess that's kind of maybe the trader in me or the entrepreneur in me. Um, yeah, that's like why you 50% said, fifty percent of businesses go out of business. The whole the old one is if you if you uh, fail to plan, you plan to fail. Yeah, there's there's a there's a million of them. Yeah, we've got um, a few we've got a few in these two uh, domes of ours, I think. So <laughs> yeah. we got some good, we got some some business lesson sayings in our head, right? <laughs> yeah well, there's awesome. a lot of stuff on my dos knowledge website there's those giveaways the 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 really long pdfs and i even give my book away my fq book my money book so you can awesome. find it in there somewhere and you can download it for free um i want people to read it because i think there's a lot of good stuff in there yeah no i'm on the i've been on the website um the get my help button to get the uh, schedule free strategy sessions an amazing offer um and Man, I just want to say thank you very much for coming on the show of Money Talkers and sharing your uh, your knowledge and insight on things that are going on right now for business owners. And um, I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, Cody. Thank you for listening to another episode of Money Talkers with me, your host, Cody Laughlin. If you found this episode helpful in your pursuit of financial dominance, it really helps if you make sure to leave a five-star rating and share it with your friends or family members who could use good financial information and entrepreneurial success tips. I invite you to join the Money Talkers Community Facebook group. Open Facebook and search for Money Talkers to join today. Follow us on Instagram at The Money Talkers for inspirational mindset posts, encouragement, and investing tips. And remember, the one thing you can do to change your kids financial future is to start talking about money with them because you are a money talker